Los Angeles Times congressional correspondent Sarah D. Wire knew she was in for a historic day when she walked into the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. She was there to cover the counting of the Electoral College votes for the 2020 presidential election. It's usually a straightforward affair. But that day, Sarah was expecting controversy. Thank you very much. Because Donald Trump claimed he lost not through regular democracy, but because of mass cheating. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. What Sarah didn't expect was an insurrection. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the L.A. Times. It's Tuesday, January 4th, 2022. Today, we spend the entire episode with Sarah. She tells us about the day that a mob of pro-Trump extremists stormed the U.S. Capitol and shares never-before-heard interviews with the Congress members she spent hours with behind locked doors. It's a glimpse into the mind of our politicians as they worried for their lives while chaos invaded the seat of American democracy. Sarah, welcome to The Times. Thanks for having me. Let's go back to January 6, 2021. Biden had just won the presidency, both the popular vote and the Electoral College, but prominent Republicans, especially Donald Trump and his supporters, they had been alleging electoral fraud. Yeah, and it had been going on for weeks. Normally, after an election ends, the atmosphere changes in Washington, and those who lost start looking for new jobs and packing up their apartments and those who won start a mass hiring spree. And no matter who won, there's a, a feeling of rejuvenation in the city. And that never happened this time. What was the atmosphere then? Was it doom, gloom, anger? Foreboding, I suppose, would be the best phrase. We've been watching for a year that the president wouldn't say publicly that he would accept the election results. You don't know until you see. It depends. I think mail-in voting is is going to rig the election. I really They're going to be sending out 80 million ballots and it's Democrats. They're trying to rig this election. So I think everyone was already a little bit on edge because of that. We saw with a protest in December that it could potentially get violent. And so, you know, you knew walking in that day that things were going to be different. My husband said to me the night before, please wear Normal clothes, wear jeans and a t-shirt. Don't drive the car. I don't want anywhere near the building. And, you know, go straight inside. And I remember telling him, I'm not worried about myself. I'm inside the Capitol. It's the safest place in the world. I'm worried about the reporters who are going to be outside. Keep it up, guys. Keep it up. Your husband's obviously worried, but for you, did you see it like a regular work shift or did you actually take extra precautions? You know, the counting of the electoral ballots is such a routine event that we don't normally cover it. Madam Speaker and members of Congress, pursuant to the Constitution and the laws of the United States, the Senate and House of Representatives are meeting in joint session. This is normally, you know, the events you send the intern to because no one else wants to go. But I did prepare a little bit differently this time. Um, you know, I got to the Capitol a few hours earlier than I might have otherwise. I did duck in through an office building rather than try to approach the Capitol directly because there were already crowds of people on the Capitol grounds by about 11 a.m. And I went inside the building, changed into work clothes, 
and made sure I went over and got myself situated. But like I said, this is the kind of event that's normally very routine. I wouldn't have thought anything of it on the most days. I think the one caveat I made was to slip a granola bar in my pocket because I didn't know how long it might take. Then you're there in the Capitol, the Electoral College vote starts, and you're just following the proceedings. Like you say, it's something you send the intern to usually. When do you realize, though, that real trouble is coming fast? When I walked out of the chamber and heard an emergency radio crackling up in the House press gallery. I'm with the United Capitol Police. And it was the Capitol Police radio. Saying, you know, stay away from the doors and windows, stay inside your office, lock the doors. And I ran back inside the chamber where my laptop was located at a desk and started typing a message to the folks back in our bureau. And I looked over the railing and realized that Nancy Pelosi had been removed from the room. And that's when I realized that things might be going south quickly. The house will be in order. But the proceedings continued. House will be in order. They had Jim McGovern go up onto the dais and proceed, and they continued to hear the objections to the electoral college count. Mr. Speaker, I ask you one question today. Are you a ceremonial figurehead in your current role? Or did the drafters of the 12th Amendment and Congress in the Electoral Count Act of 1887 envision a role where you made discretionary decisions about ballot fraud and fair elections? Suddenly, a member of Capitol Police came in and interrupted the proceedings. So we have folks entering the rotunda and coming down this way. And I've never seen that happen before. We'll update you as soon as we can, but just be prepared. Stay calm. And he announced that the Capitol building was on lockdown and that members should be prepared in case that they had to lock them inside the chamber. Because the chamber is considered a safe space in the Capitol. It has special filtration in case there's anthrax attack. It's got bulletproof windows. And even the seats are bulletproof, we found out later. And, you know, they started up again. And about 15 minutes later, another officer came in and announced that tear gas had been deployed inside the rotunda. And he was advising members to pull out gas masks that were stored underneath their chairs and to crouch down on the floor. And that's when we really knew that this was, you know, not just one or two people who had managed to get in, but something really scary. The White House says National Guard troops are heading to the Capitol to help end a violent occupation by Trump supporters. The images were searing. Guns drawn, hand-to-hand fighting with police. Breaching the chambers and legislators' offices. We'll have more after this break. Sarah, so you were telling me about how you're in the chambers... Capitol Police just told you, hey, take out your gas masks. Everyone's realizing there's something bad happening. What are people around you doing at this point? You know, most of the reporters are frantically trying to get hold of their editors and let them know what's happening. You could start to hear thumping on the door to the chamber. And the officer comes back in and says, you know, we're going to start evacuating. We're going to start barricading the doors. And members, you know, they moved quickly and quietly and started getting out of the room. Members of Congress and police officers picked up a big bookcase and shoved it in front of the doors. A police officer looked up and realized that the gallery was full. 
and started screaming at us, get over to the side, get over to the side, because we were direct line of sight from the door that was being pounded on to the press gallery. And at that point, the police had locked all of the doors into the gallery itself from the outside. And there's about two to three dozen members of Congress who are also up there socially distancing because of COVID. And as the last members kind of filtered out of the room, one of the members of Congress yelled down to the police officers down on the floor of the chamber and said, what about us? And the police officers kind of looked at each other and you could see the look on their face of, not our problem. There's nothing we can do. And they started to yell, who has a key who can let us out? And they realized that no one inside the chamber had a key to the gallery, including the police officers who were locked in there with us. Suddenly we start hearing pounding up on the upper levels. At that point, members of Congress are having a very loud argument with police officers about whether to open the doors or not. And one member is praying as loudly as she can. Got members who are speaking with loved ones on the phone and the glass begins to shatter uh, on the chamber floor. Police officers who are still down there put their weapons in the door and they start arguing with the rioters trying to push through. And as this is happening, how are you balancing your job as a reporter with your own personal safety? You know, I had just finished an active shooting training through work. And so I left my laptop behind because it was one of the things they told us to do. So here I am, I'm holding a gas mask in one arm. I've got my cell phone, my charger in my pocket, along with that granola bar, and a pad of paper and a pen. And that's all I have left. As all this commotion is going on, we can hear the glass breaking to the chamber doors. And that's when we heard the shot. The shot that killed Ashley Babbitt. And that spurred something in my brain at that moment of, I could die. And if that could possibly happen, people are going to know I died doing my job. And so I army crawled over to Representative Norma Torres. Norma Torres, she represents California's 35th Congressional District. She and I watched the San Bernardino shooting coverage together because she represented the district when she was in the State House. And so we always seem to be in the same place when bad things happen. You know, she asked me why I wasn't wearing the gas mask. I told her, you know, You're more important than I you guys are much more important than we are. They didn't tell us to put our gas masks on. There's this high-pitched whine that you could hear over everything. And it's a noise I still hear in my dreams. The first thing she did was ask me how my baby's doing. <laughs> and my first thought was, he's not here right now, he's fine. And she took a photo of me and she tweeted it out so that the LA Times would know I was safe. We're still in the middle of everything when this happened. So I turned to her and I said, you know, can I do the hardest part of my job? Can I ask you what's going through your mind right now? Tell me a little bit about what this was like, what you're experience. This is America. This is the United States of America. And this is what we have to go through because Trump has called homegrown terrorists to come to the Capitol and invalidate people's votes. U.S. citizens voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And yet here we are fighting for democracy. But our constitution is worth fighting for. I think I was one of the few reporters who managed to actually do interviews inside the chamber because we were all laying on our bellies on the cold marble floor. 
You were in the gallery. You were finally ushered out by Capitol Police and into a safe room. But before you leave, you remember, oh, yeah, I should probably let my husband know that I'm a little bit okay. You know, they let us out of the gallery, out of the chamber itself. And I look over and there are about a dozen rioters face down on the uh, floor with their hands behind their heads and police officers with assault-style weapons over them. And that's when I realized my husband's probably watching this right now and I need to let him know I'm safe. So I sent him off a quick text message. Just said, being evacuated, I'm safe. We'll let you know when I know more. And then I started doing more interviews as we walked to the safe room. I remember I stopped and I spoke with Jimmy Gomez and I said something to him to remember I probably never said before, he started to get a little emotional and I said, it's okay if you hug me. Yeah, my wife was texting me, I was like, everything's okay, everything's okay. Yeah. No, we, we gotta calm things down in this country. We would never offer that normally, but we were all just kind of trying to keep it together at that moment. You know, we're gonna get back in there and, and finish this. That's, that's what we have to do in order to, to move on to the next chapter. And you know, maybe it was because I was speaking to a member of Congress. Maybe it's because I look rather young. As police were separating reporters and staff from the members of Congress, they didn't separate me out. And I ended up being one of about three reporters who were in the safe room with the members of Congress for the next few hours. We'll have more after this break. Sarah, you were just saying that you were one of the only reporters in the safe room at the U.S. Capitol, and you still did your job by doing interviews, even though you yourself were scared. What do you remember the Congress people telling you at that point? A lot of the Democrats were very frustrated. They were very emotional. They were very angry and immediately blamed President Trump. And I spoke to some Republicans that day, and piece by piece, they would come over and they would put their hand on my shoulder. They didn't want to talk on the record. They just were there in solidarity for a moment and then walked off. Jimmy Gomez told me on the way to the safe room that, you know, how is this America? It's it's crazy. This this shouldn't happen in the United States. Where people think a democracy is being stolen from them, it creates a dangerous situation, as you saw, where people are running for their safety. I spoke with Dean Phillips of Minnesota saying, We sit in this room, Democrats and Republicans, and we're all Americans sitting in this room, scared, sad, and frightened, and probably some ashamed. And I hope this moment is seared into not just everybody's memory here, but our country, and we take heed of the risks of turning our heads, closing our ears, and most importantly, turning off our minds. In a short video released hours after the attack began, President Trump urged his supporters in the mob to go home. We love you. You're very special. I know how you feel. How did people around you react when they heard that? Anger, mostly. We were receiving bits and pieces of information. That's been my biggest takeaway from the day, is that I have my one snapshot. And even I was receiving information from social media the way that others were. We've heard a lot since about possible conversations that happened with the president that day with members of Congress. 
Well, we weren't seeing a lot of that happening within the safe room, but not every member was there. And it's probably one of the reasons that it wasn't worse, is that so many members were in their offices that day rather than on the House floor because of COVID. And there were no tourists inside the building because of COVID. Sarah, when were you let out of the safe room? We were let out at about 8 o'clock. And, you know, we made our way back up to the house gallery. And it was pretty clear that, you know, the cleaning crew had already been at work. They were sweeping up the glass and uh, trying to get the place back into order so that Congress could resume. And I knew I had to go back up there. I knew that if I had gone home, I might not come back to the Capitol ever again. And so I had to see it through. Right before everyone was allowed to go back to the chambers and continue the counting of the Electoral College votes, because that's still going on, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi addressed everyone. What did she say? You know, she really started off with talking about the importance of coming back and finishing their work. I think there were a lot of members who wanted time to go home, to decompress, But she realized the optics of not finishing it would be very bad. Today, a shameful assault was made on our democracy. It cannot, however, deter us from our responsibility to validate the election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And by the end of her speech, which I will say is probably one of the best I've ever heard her give, she really convinced the room our purpose will be accomplished. And I've gone back and listened to my audio and you know, it's punctuated by loud applause and it wasn't all just coming from Democrats. So a year later, how have you seen the actions of January 6th, the insurrection, change Congress? And I'm not talking about all the extra security measures, but just the interactions between everyone. There was a lot of anger for a long time. A lot of Democrats really blamed Republicans for not standing up to the president. And you could see that in that, you know, some Democrats didn't want to work with Republicans on bills, even people they had known for a decade. People didn't feel safe having their offices located near the offices of some Trump supporters. It'd be more common to hear sniping in the hallways. You know, we we saw that even in September with Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene getting into a yelling match on the steps of the Capitol over a policy issue that turned into an argument about who was a better Christian. Yeah, with Representative Debbie Dingle from Michigan. It was pretty intense. Respect your life. Church? Are you kidding me? Try being a Christian and supporting life. Try being a Christian and try support life. These aren't the kind of things that we normally see on Capitol Hill. I mean, I think everyone likes to joke that, you know, Congress is made full of children, but this was the first time you really saw those emotions at the forefront in this last year. It's changed the place. 
The Capitol is somewhere I spend more time than I do in my own home. You know, I'm there for 10, 12 hours a day, three to four days a week. In some ways, it felt like a home invasion. And to go back and the damage is still there and you're walking by it every single day. In March, there were windows that still hadn't been fixed. To see blood smeared on statues and... Now, every day I walk into the Capitol knowing that I am so lucky to have the opportunity to be there. I walk upstairs that have grooves worn into them from the footsteps of thousands of Americans who have walked up those stairs before me. And so to see it mistreated that way was just very heartbreaking. Sarah, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks for having me. The consequences of January 6th are still coming into focus. Doubts about the integrity of our elections have only grown, and so have demands for more restrictive voting laws. Since July, a U.S. House of Representatives committee has been investigating the attack, but that committee could have an expiration date. If Republicans retake the House in this year's midterm elections, they could halt it. Democrats fear if that happens, those responsible for the attacks won't be held accountable. And amidst all this, the nation must grapple with the question of how to stop the events of January 6th from ever happening again. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, our reporters take us into the heart of the Amazon rainforest, where the next pandemic might be waiting for us. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, Melissa Kaplan, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editor is Lauren Rapp. Our executive producers are Jasmine Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton. And our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. Special thanks to Mike Heflin. I'm Gustavo Oriano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this month. Gracias.